Chapter 30 of Small Souls by Louis Couperus. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Van der Velke kept himself under control that Sunday evening, for Mamma van Loer's sake, but he was really shocked at Addy's concern, and by the calumnies that appeared to be stealthily uttered against him in The Hague. And next morning he went to the Ministry of Justice, asked to see Van Satsuma, and without beating about the bush, requested him to punish his son Yap for his spiteful slander. Van Satsuma, losing his head in the face of van der Velke's lofty and resolute tone, stammered and spluttered, spoke to Adolphine when he got home, and delegated the business to his wife. Adolphine, it is true, scolded Yap for being so stupid, but, in doing it, created an excitement that lasted for days and penetrated to the Van Nagels, the Reuveners, Karel and Cateau, Gerrit and Adeline, Paul and Doreen, until everybody was talking about it and knew of the incident, excepting only Mamma Van Loa, whom they always spared, and Constance herself. A couple of days later, Van der Velke saw Van Satsuma again, and asked him if he had corrected Yap, and when he perceived in Van Satsuma's spluttering a certain vagueness, a certain inclination to avoid the point, Van der Velke, who was naturally quick-tempered, flew into a rage, and said he would speak to Yap himself. And that same evening, three days after the Sunday in question, Van der Velke went to the Van Satsumas, was very polite to Adolphine and her husband, but told Yap in his parents' presence that, if he ever dared repeat his slanderous insinuations against Addy, he, his uncle van der Velke, would give him a thrashing which he would remember all the days of his life. Van Satsuma lost his head. Unaccustomed to such plain speaking, he spluttered and stammered, blurting out conciliatory words, and Adolphine told van der Velke that she was quite capable of punishing her children herself if she thought necessary. Van der Velke, however, managed to keep cool and civil towards the father and mother, but again warned Yap, so that he might know what to expect. And the whole family soon learnt that van der Velke had been to the Van Satsumas and threatened Yap, and all the members of the family had their different opinions, all except Mamma van Loer, who was not told, who was always spared the revelation of any unpleasantness, from a sort of reverence on her children's part, so that she really lived and reigned over them in a sort of illusion of harmony and close communion. And Constance also was not told, remained gently happy, gently contented, with that calm, sweet sadness in her face and soul, which was the reflection of her moods. On the following Sunday, however, merely knowing that Addy was still angry with Yap, she said at lunch, Addy, won't you go to the three boys today and make it up with Yap? But Addy gave a decided refusal. I'll do anything to please you, Mamma, but I'll never go back to those boys. Constance lost her temper. So, on account of what you yourself call a boy's quarrel about a cat, you wish to remain on bad terms with the children of your mother's sister? Addy took fright. It was true. The cause seemed very unreasonable. But van der Velke, 
himself irritable under the restraint which he had been imposing upon himself, said, trembling all over, I don't choose, Constance, that Addy should continue to go about with those boys. His determined manner brought her temper seething up, and all her gentle calmness vanished. And I choose, she exclaimed, that Addy should make friends with them. Mamma, I can't, really. Constance, it's impossible. Though she was quivering in all her nerves, there was something in the manifest determination of them both that calmed her. But she grew suspicious. Tell me why you quarrelled. If you can't make it up, then it wasn't about a cat. Let us first have our lunch in peace, if possible, said van der Velke. I'll tell you everything presently, at least if you can be calm. He realised that he could no longer keep her in ignorance. She collected all her strength of mind to remain cool. After lunch, when she was alone with her husband, she said, Now, tell me what it is all about. On one condition, that you keep calm. I want to avoid a scene if I possibly can, if only for the sake of our boy, who has been very unhappy. I am quite calm. Tell me, what is it? Why has he been unhappy? He now told her. She kept calm. She first tried to gloss things over, in a spirit of contradiction, but she was overcome with a deep sense of depression when she thought of her boy and his trouble. For one torturing moment, she doubted whether she had not been very wrong to return to her native land, to her native town, in the midst of all her relations. But she merely said, Slander, that appears to be people's occupation everywhere. Now that she seemed calm, he resolved to tell her everything, and said that he had been to the Van Satsumas and threatened Yap. Her temper was roused for a moment, but subsided again in the profound depression that immediately left her numb and disheartened. The torturing pain followed again, and the doubt whether she had not been quite wrong but she did not give utterance to the doubt, and simply went to the turret room where her boy was. "'Are you going out, Addy?' she asked vaguely, calm amid her depression. "'Let's go out together, Mamma," he said. She smiled, glad that he was giving her this Sunday afternoon, with that justice with which he divided his favours. She stood in front of him with blank eyes, to which the tears now stole, but with the smile still playing about her mouth. "'Shall we, Mamma? She nodded yes. Then she knelt down beside her boy, where he sat with his book in his hands, and it was as though she were making herself very small, as though she were shrinking, and she laid her head on his little knees and put one arm round him. She wept very softly into his lap. "'Come, Mummy.' What's the matter? She now knew what he had suffered, a sorrow almost too great for one of his years to bear. She almost wished to beg his pardon, but dared not. She only said, Addy, you did believe Papa, didn't you? Yes. And you believe me, too, when I say that it's not true what people say. Yes, I believe you. He believed her, and yet a suspicion lingered in his mind. There was something, even though that particular thing was not true. 
there was something, but he did not ask what it was, out of respect for those past years, the years that were his parents' own. My child, she sobbed, with her head still in his lap, tell me, has my boy been very unhappy? He just nodded to say yes, and pressed her to him, lifted her up, took her close to him on his knees, with the caress of an embryo man. She closed her eyes on her son's breast. She felt so weary with her depression that she could have remained lying there. It was as though the illusion was beginning to crumble to pieces, like a dear house of sympathy from which sympathy had shown itself to be absent. Don't let Grandmama notice anything, she said softly. He promised. She wanted to leave the old woman her happiness in her illusion, the illusion of that dear house of sympathy. Her own illusion was crumbling, and yet she thought that she was exaggerating, making too much of it, because a wretched boy had given her child pain. There's no reason why they should all be like that, she thought, and she once more summoned to her mind the illusion of that great dear house of sympathy for which she had yearned in her lonely exile. Come, Mamma, let's go out. She released him slowly, smiled through her tears, as she rose from his lap and went to change her things. How small we are, she thought, what small creatures we are, and what small souls we have. Is that life, or is there something different? End of chapter 30